I'm Robin Amler of IBS Intelligence. You're listening to the IBSI Views podcast. With me today is Kareem Salah, Chief Executive Officer and co-founder of Fair Play. And we are going to be discussing algorithmic unfairness in lending models. So the very first question has to be, what is this unfairness and how does it creep into lending models? I have been working on the problem of underwriting inherently hard to score borrowers my whole career. These are folks who perhaps lack a credit file or perhaps have had some kind of credit event in their past, like a bankruptcy or a foreclosure. Maybe they're recently arrived immigrants. But a common feature of uh, all of these individuals is that they are hard to score, either because the data that's available about them is messy, missing, or wrong or because, simply put, the legacy underwriting techniques don't do a good job of assessing their creditworthiness. In addition, in the U.S., as I imagine in Europe, we have an unfortunate legacy of what's called redlining. This was a practice in which financial institutions refused to lend in certain neighborhoods, in certain communities. That's an unfortunate legacy of our history of discrimination in financial services in the United States. So we have a population in the U.S. that's between 50 to 60 million individuals that is unscorable by conventional credit uh, underwriting techniques. And as a result, those folks are either excluded from the financial system or unable to access credit on reasonable terms. What's interesting, at least in the States, and I, and I think in Europe there's a similar uh, legal regime, is that you know bias in financial services is actually illegal. And in the U.S., it's severely punishable. There's a six-year statute of limitations, and the remedies can be what's sometimes referred to as treble damages, so three times the cost of the offense. And that got me interested in this question is of how is it possible, on the one hand, that algorithmic discrimination or that bias in lending is ubiquitous, and on the other hand, that it's illegal? And what I have found is that on both sides of the pond, financial institutions rely on fancy law firms and fancy consulting companies to come up with clever statistical and legal justifications for the disparities in their lending portfolios. And we took one look at that and thought we could do better at fair play. So uh, we call ourselves the world's first fairness as a service solution, and our tools allow anybody using an algorithm to make a high-stakes decision about someone's life to answer five questions. Is my algorithm fair? If not, why not? Could it be fairer? What's the economic impact to our business of being fairer? And finally, did we give our declines, the folks we rejected, a second look to make sure that we didn't reject someone we ought to have approved? The first thing that springs to mind from what everything you've just said is that all that was supposed to go away with artificial intelligence making all these decisions because the AI was supposed to be able to understand what the basics of the question were without, let's be brutal, thinking of somebody's skin color or gender or any other extraneous factor. But that has not happened, has it? No, I sometimes like to say that artificial intelligence is both the problem and the solution, right? Artificial intelligence is reliant on data for its learning. And what we have seen over and over again is that machine learning algorithms are capable of learning the wrong things. I'll tell you just one brief story on that account. Uh, when we were first starting in the business of applying complex machine learning algorithms to consumer loan underwriting, 
the algorithm that we had in development came back and suggested very strongly that we make a series of loans in Arkansas. And it just so happened that my partner at the time was from Arkansas, and we happened to know that the legal regime in Arkansas was extremely hostile to these kinds of loans. And so we went back through the training data on our algorithms and found that the training data that we had purchased contained no loans from Arkansas, which means that the algorithm had never seen a default in Arkansas and then concluded that loans never went bad in Arkansas. And so it's come, you know, people commonly use the phrase garbage in, garbage out. If the data that you're feeding these algorithms are messy, missing, or wrong, they are likely to yield conclusions that are perhaps unwarranted. Now, on the flip side of the ledger, it turns out the last several years have seen the emergence of new AI fairness techniques, which essentially allow you to harness AI with AI. These are techniques that expressly have the purpose of correcting for biases in the decisioning processes of other AI systems. Those are the kinds of techniques that we develop and deploy at Fairplay. You mentioned garbage in, garbage out. I can't help feeling that AI is not yet ready to take over the world. At best, at the moment, it's a useful idiot. Well, you know, I think we're seeing great progress every day. One of the fields and the domains in which AI has been making a lot of progress that we have been heavily influenced from in financial services is actually the world of self-driving cars. If you think about it, all algorithms must be given a target, an objective that they seek to relentlessly maximize. If you think, for example, of the Facebook algorithm, its target or its objective is to keep the user engaged. So that algorithm is going to do whatever it must to keep the user engaged, regardless of whether or not the stuff that it's showing you to keep you engaged is bad for your mental health or bad for society. And so one of the brilliant developments from the world of self-driving cars has been the innovation to give algorithms multiple objectives, right? So imagine the world of self-driving cars. If you merely gave a self-driving car the objective of getting you from point A to point B, it might do that while driving the wrong way down a one-way street, blowing through red lights, causing mayhem to pedestrians. So what does Tesla do? What do other self-driving car uh, developers do? They have to give their the algorithms that power their self-driving cars two objectives. Get the passenger from point A to point B while also respecting the rules of the road. And we observed that and said, well, why can't we do that in financial services? Why can't we predict who's going to pay back a loan while also minimizing disparities for historically disadvantaged groups? And so the results so far of that work have been extremely promising. We've just concluded an engagement with a major installment lender here in the United States. And using these techniques, these fairness as a service techniques, giving algorithms multiple objectives, that lender was able to safely increase its approval rate of loans for Black applicants by 16%. That meant an, an additional $130 million of credit originated, an additional $5 million of profits for that lender. Uh, so we like to say that fairness animated by these new algorithmic fairness techniques, it can be good for profits, good for people, and good for progress. Well, it's financial inclusion, isn't it? Because I look around the world and I talk to people around the world about financial inclusion. They say, yes, we're doing this, we're doing that. Sometimes people forget 
when they're sitting in Europe or they're sitting in America, that there is an excluded underclass of underserved people in underserved by financial services in the US, in Europe. And this is what you're addressing. And it's a rather significant group of people, right? In the US, we estimate that that population is about 20% of the overall American population that is either unable to access credit or uh, unable to access it on non-predatory terms. I suspect that the figures in Europe are quite similar. Well, if we look at this as a potential marketplace, you've already given us some numbers earlier on. There's got to be huge potential growth for lenders, and it's safe growth. That's right. Provided you use these techniques uh, responsibly and well, uh, what we find is that 25 to 33 percent of the highest scoring black, brown, and female applicants that get declined would have performed at least as well as the riskiest folks that most lenders approve. We're not telling you that we're going to take terrible credits and make them great credits, but if you have marginal credits and you're using a kind of blunt cutoff to divide, you know, who you approve from who you decline, there is, you know, 25 to 33% of the time you're going to get that decision wrong and leave money on the table and leave folks who, you know, need access to credit in their moment of need without it. But it's got to be good for the economy in general, because if you are giving people credit who are good for the credit, no matter what their race, creed or colour, that's going to translate into overall economic growth because they will be more economically active. They will engage. They will spend money. They will generate profits, et cetera, et cetera. That's right. I've seen estimates that that multiplier on every dollar of credit extended can be anywhere from, you know, 1.7x to 4x in terms of additional economic activity, you know, that is unleashed by that extension of of credit. So you're you're absolutely right. As I said, good good for profits, good for people and good for the broader economy. You talked about the fairness as a service solution that you offer. How do you offer that? Who do you offer it to? Who do you want to offer it to? Our solutions can be used by anybody uh, using an algorithm to make a high stakes decision about someone's life. Today in the US, we've gone to market in the financial services sector with a focus on uh, lenders and insurers in particular. And the solutions basically divide into two modules bias detection and fairness optimization. So, bias detection is is my algorithm fair? If not, why not? That is an obligation that lenders and insurers in the United States have pursuant to various regulations which prohibit discrimination in financial services. But the more interesting question is the fairness optimization module. When you find the disparities, what are you going to do about them? Historically, frankly, the industry has been habituated to trying to sweep them under the rug and pretend that they don't exist. Uh, But the tools today allow us to be much more proactive, allow us to take fairness issues seriously, inquire into the unfairness rigorous, unfairness rigorously, and then when we find disparities, to actually solve them in ways that result in the responsible extension to credit to many people who've been historically denied it. Well, where do you go from here? Where, where do, how do you grow your business? How do you get into the financial institutions? We've had experienced very fast adoption in the U.S. uh, on the part of some of the financial technology companies. 
who I think have reached a stage of maturity where they're starting to take their regulatory obligations very seriously, but who also appreciate a technology solution to a problem that most financial institutions have historically kind of thrown bodies and consultants at. We believe in the long run that we are building fairness infrastructure for the internet. That is the ability to debias a range of digital decisions in real time. And we're starting in financial services and, and lending and insurance, but we see opportunities in healthcare, education, employment, and even government services like benefits administration and predictive policing. Kareem Saleh, Chief Executive Officer and Co-Founder of Fair Play, thank you very much.